0: We're going to begin in verse 7 and go through verse 16. And you may have noticed from previous uh, worship folder bulletins that uh, the original plan was just 7 through 10 this morning. But uh, the Lord changed that and changed my mind on that this weekend. So we are going to do uh, from verse uh, 7 through verse 16 this morning. So let us read the word of God together this morning. with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. This is God's word for us this morning. And as you might see from your worship folder that I have titled the the message this morning, Growing in Grace, do your part. And that our part in our work that we have for us is by grace. It is through grace. There is an expectation that we grow in grace. What, there's no reason for us to gather here this morning or any Sunday morning if we are not intentionally learning and growing in the grace uh, and knowledge of that grace in the Lord Jesus Christ. We are wasting our time. If we are not here expecting to grow in our knowledge of God's grace. And this is this is the thing about our salvation why we repeat the gospel message over and over again we need to hear it again and again and again we need to hear that our salvation is all of grace that it is all God's work that it is all God's love for us that he amazingly sent his son to rescue people who as Caleb read from Romans chapter three, verse 10, that none is good. No, not one. And then he, he, he ended his reading with, but God, but God, it is all the work of God. And we need to capture that. We need to live in it. We need to walk in it. We need to grow in it. And we also need to give that grace away. We got to give it away. It's been given to you as a gift, but you've got to give it away. And so this is where we begin this morning. And so to give us like just a a very deep overview of where we have been to kind of get us to where we're going this morning. I want to say this, that as a born again, blood bought believer in Jesus Christ, you and I have been saved to a new position. And this new position was given to you as a gracious gift of God. It was given to you because of his mercy. It was given to you because of his kindness. And it was given to you because it is his power working toward you and for you. By grace you have been saved. You've been saved to a position as a son or a daughter. You have been saved to the blessings in the spiritual realm of which you were once alienated from. As we saw in our previous text, you were saved to partake in the promises of God which were once only reserved for Israel. But now they are yours in Christ Jesus because of God's divine electing love for you. This gift of saving grace, it comes with other giftings that are enabling you to live in a brand new way. These further enabling gifts have come to you in the same way as your salvation came to you. It it comes to you by grace. Unearned, unmerited personal favor from God through Jesus Christ. Define grace simply. I'm going to say it again. That it is unearned, unmerited personal favor from God through faith in Jesus Christ that you have been saved and that you are enabled to walk in those truths. It is an unmerited, unearned, undeserved personal favor from God. That is the gifts that we have been given. But these gifts, they come with a purpose, don't they? As we saw in chapter one, these gifts come with a purpose of accomplishing God's work in the world. And he's doing it through you and through me. And God has prepared this work well beforehand. He has prepared this work ahead of time. And he has gifted you with the empowering grace as his workmanship to accomplish his purposes in the world. And so with these gifts, there comes an expectation These are gifts of grace, but they come with an expectation. And it is this, that it is a given that as a born again, blood bought believer in Jesus Christ, that you will grow in the knowledge of his grace. It is a given. It is an imperative. An imperative is merely a command of God. And we will see in our text this morning, it is a command of God that you mature in grace that you increase in the knowledge and understanding of all that God is for you in Christ Jesus. It is further to be understood that as one who has received grace unto salvation through the blood of Jesus Christ, that those of you and I who have been gifted by grace to do the works that God has prepared, that those of you who are growing in grace are also commanded to exercise those gifts of grace through grace, to be helpers of other born-again believers in Christ. See, we are, as those who are directed by God's word, we are centered on the person and work of Christ, and we are to be oriented not only to work out our own salvation with fear and trembling, but we are expected to orient our lives toward helping others to grow in full maturity into Christ Jesus. And so as we look at our text this morning, you can see an outline up there. As we look at our text more closely this morning, we're going to see our position that we have been given gracious gifts in Christ, verses 7 through 10. We will see the purpose for using and exercising those grace given gifts. They were to be growing in grace and helping others grow, verses 11 through 14. And finally, as as we practice the Christian faith, we are becoming givers of grace, balancing truth and love, building the body of Christ. So let us look more closely at verses 7 through 10. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he held a host of captives and gave gifts to men. In saying he ascended, what does it mean that he had also descended into the lower regions of the earth? He who has descended is the one who has also ascended far above all the heavens, that he might fill all things. There's no measure of gifting as it pertains to saving grace. There's no measure. It's not measured. It's not that that, that Caleb is more saved than Matt. There, there is no measure of saving grace. But the gift of enabling grace can vary. It has varying offices and various enablements in serving the church. Not meaning that one is greater than or lesser than the other. They're just varied. they are different measures of grace because we saw before that there is one body. There is one spirit. There is one Lord. There is one faith. There is one baptism. There is one God and father of us all, but some are called to differing grace given gifts. Not all are called to preaching and leading, but all are called to work. Not all are called to preaching and teaching, but everyone is called to work and they are called you are all called according to work according to the gift of God's grace in Christ that is in you Christ ascended by his resurrection from the dead and has been victorious over the demonic world and given gifts to us in serving the church that's what Paul is after here in 1 Corinthians 12:12 12, 12, it reads like this for just as the body is one and has many members And all the members of the body, though many are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit, we were all baptized into one body. Jews are Greeks, slaves are free, and all were made to drink of the spirit. For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. See, everyone who has been born again to a living hope, everyone who has been purchased by the life giving blood of Christ has been given also the enabling power of grace. To contribute to the purposes of God according to the grace given to you in Christ. Do your part. We are to do our part. And he gave the apostles, the prophets and the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints. See, Christ gave you and me. He gave us The Apostle Paul, in his word, he gave us the scriptures. Christ gave you the prophet Jeremiah in the scriptures. Christ gave you Doug Wilhelm. Christ gave you Joe Moore. Christ gave you your Bible study teaching for the purpose of equipping you to exercise the gift of God's grace so that you would do your job. So that you would do your job. The office that God has given me to be the the pastor, preacher, elder in this church is that I would help you, equip you to do your job. Not that I would do your job for you, but that I would equip you to do your job through God's Word. Well, so the scriptures and the elders and the teachers and the shepherds and the pastors are to do the work of equipping the saints. It's pretty simple. A lot of times we think of pastors, elders, and the leadership of the church as decision makers. That's not their function. It's not their purpose. They do make decisions, but it is not the focus of their purpose. Their purpose, according to the scripture, is to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. To equip the saints for doing the work of the ministry. If by God's grace, Christ Jesus has given you this gracious gift of equipping, I would say do your part. Elders, get busy equipping. Teachers, get busy teaching. Evangelists, get busy evangelizing. Do your part. And First Corinthians 12, 29 tells us, are all apostles, are all prophets, are all teachers? As a question. Well, you know that common attitude in the church today is that the work of the ministry is left to the specially called, maybe to the professional. And the typical churchgoer sits a mean pew. They sit a pew very well. They come to receive all that the church would give to them, everything that they might get from the service. I don't know how many times as a pastor you can hear folks say stuff like this at the end. Well, I didn't really get much out of that. And they're thinking about where they're going to go for lunch. Instead of thinking, wow, I really didn't give my everything to that. I really didn't give my all to that. I really was distracted and thinking only of myself. I was really centered on me. But the scriptures here teach us that we are to be different than that. That it's not about what we can receive. Right. And so this common attitude is that everyone else, that the leadership, that the the pastors, the elders, deacons, whoever it is that is somewhat more called than me is to do the work of the ministry while I sit back and receive all that these folks do. It was said that an infrequent infre- churchgoer, do you know who Pxetani uh, Phil is? It has been said that a, an infrequent churchgoer is like Punkcitatani Phil on February 2nd. He shows up once a year and then expects everyone to take him seriously, right? And that sometimes can be the prevailing attitude in the church is that we show up once in a while with our complaints and our, and our, our uh, dislike for how things may be going. And then expect everyone to take us seriously when we have not given anything of ourselves, that we've just been a taker. We've just been a taker of worship. See, we, we, we take in worship, don't we? And and as we were talking and, and thinking about the songs, think about the scriptures that we that we read this morning. That scripture's about coming and giving yourself away to him. It's about giving of ourselves to his glory and to his praise. But don't we turn that around, church? Don't we often turn that around and say, this is about me? Almost like the, I jokingly said about the Charlie Simon song that I changed the words to last week, Right. I'm so depraved, I probably think this church is about me. I think it's about me. It's not about me. It's all about Him. And He has given us this grace to be outward, to be uh, outside of ourselves. Well, this idea, this passage here, it indicates otherwise, doesn't it? This passage indicates that the saints, that means everyone, who is saved by grace through faith, everyone redeemed by the blood of Christ, is to do the work of the ministry. What does that mean? It means cleaning a toilet. It means serving children. It means taking the offering. It means securing the building. They all serve the church as necessary components of the work of the ministry. But what we should see from verses 12 through 14 is that all of these acts of service in the ministry of the church have a higher and a more worthy end. Cleaning the toilet, taking the offering, cleaning up the church, whatever it might be, has a higher purpose than just the act of service. It serves something greater than that. It is for the building up of the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. This is your unified purpose. This is your job, saint. This is what the scriptures call every born again, blood-bought believer in Christ to be about, to be doing. Engaged in building up of the body of Christ. To be engaged in the work of the ministry, to be increasing the knowledge of grace in your own life and in the lives of others. It's about pouring yourself out for the spiritual well-being and growth of others. It is the goal of the work you're called to. It is the goal, presenting the young person who's sitting next to you this morning, mature in Christ, growing the child in the nursery into the likeness of Jesus Christ himself, it is cleaning the toilet so that your fellow church member will be more able to listen to the preached word of God on the Lord's day. It is diligently studying God's word for the ladies Bible study so that your fellow women will be encouraged in the faith. It's a cup of coffee with a friend in the church so that you might encourage that person to seek the Lord and his word in the areas of life where they struggle. It is, my friends, the Great Commission. It is teaching others and encouraging fellow church members to observe all that Jesus has commanded you. It is disciples making disciples. This is your job. This is what the equipping from the preached word of God is to equip you to do. Isn't it clear from here that that is what it is meant to equip you to do? It says to do the work of the ministry for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith. That is, that we all understand that we are in the same faith and that we understand the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. It's the Great Commission. It is disciples making disciples. It is your job. This is the, what the equipping of the preached Word of God is purposed to do for you and through you and in you. And as I've said many times, this doing is a command that flows from who you have already become. I want you to get that. It's who you already are. It is, I'm not saying for you to go and, and make disciples so that you will become and have more favor with God and that you will all of a sudden be the, the, the righteous and holy disciple that he loves more. It is not that. It is that this is who you are. You are a disciple of Jesus Christ. And disciples do this. True disciples do this. True disciples make disciples of Jesus Christ. That's what disciples do. So it flows from who you are. It flows from who you've already become. When you were born again, you were born in, again in Christ and you are a disciple of Christ. What does it mean to be a disciple? It is discipline, right? Is where we get that word. Disciplined in Christ. Learner. One who is underneath and learning Christ. Learning grace from Him. And then it is, becomes our job to do that work for others. Teach them about Christ. Encourage them in Christ. Build them up in Christ and build one another up in that work. That is the work that you are called to as a disciple of Christ. You are to be learning and growing in His likeness. And you are to be living for the sake of your brothers and sisters' growth in the very same thing. Do we get up in the morning and say, I long to be more like Jesus. I need to be more like Jesus today. And in my relationships, am I striving to help them be more like Jesus? Am I encouraging them through His Word to be more like Christ? Living for the sake of our brothers and sisters' growth in the same thing that we are growing in. You're a disciple and whose work it is to make disciples. And it is a never-ending work. Because think about the goal. It is a never-ending work. Look what He says is the goal. Until we all attain to the unity of the faith, We have a hard time agreeing on uh, what kind of coffee we like, right? We have a hard time agreeing on almost anything to attain unity in our choices. But here it says that we are to be doing the work of ministry for the building up of the body of Christ until we attain to the unity of the faith in the knowledge of the Son of God. Can we ever exhaust our knowledge of the Son of God and his grace for us? I don't think we can ever exhaust it. And that is the work that we're called to. It is a never-ending work. It is the target. It is the, the aim. It is our goal. It is what we need to duck our head and steadfastly get to work at. See, the goal here is maturity. The target is the full stature of who Christ is. This is your work. So what is step one? What is step one in this work? of disciple-making, brothers and sisters. What is it? Well, it is this. To assemble together with your brothers and sisters regularly as a matter of habit. And step two is to intentionally give yourself to other people for their sake, for their growth in Christ, as well as your own. See, think about this. It is what Christ modeled for us, isn't it? It's what was modeled in 2 Corinthians 5.21 that we read this morning. For our sake, He, God, made Him, Jesus, sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God in Him. Right? For our sake. Well, this is our aim. This is our work. This is the work of the ministry, is to intentionally give yourself to other people for the sake of their growth in In Christ Jesus, for the sake of their knowledge of him, for the sake of their maturity, that you might present them to the full stature, to the full measure of who Christ is when he returns. Is that not also a good model for marriage? We're going to see this later at the end of Ephesians. We're going to see this at the end is that that Paul likens the the marriage to the work of the church that. That we would present our bride pure and spotless. That that the husband would wash his wife with the water of the word. That he might present her without blemish before God. That too is also the aim of us in the church and disciple making. It's not so much that we might receive praise for what a good, holy, and perfect life we are living. But that we might present our brother and our sister holy and blameless in Christ that we might work to that end. Could you imagine what the church would be like if we really lived that out amongst each other? That we were giving of our giving ourselves away for the sake of the faith of our brothers and sisters for the sake of their maturity in Christ that we were constantly giving of ourselves in love giving away ourselves away to them. Well, It is this. It means that we have this cup of coffee, that we give ourselves away. This means modeling also that we grow in Christ and what that looks like, that we model that ourselves. It means encouraging our brothers and sisters to open God's word. And one definition that I like for discipleship is this. And I I don't like the word discipleship anymore because I think that in the church they've made that a program. And discipleship is really not a program. It's, it, it's to be a way of life and that we are to be discipling, but not discipleship is always a program. Uh, any church I've been in, they have a discipleship program and they tell you the do's and don'ts. And this is how you do it. And this is it's, it's much more simple than that. It is giving your life to another person. It is intentionally giving yourself to do a spiritual good in another person's life. That's, that, that is discipleship. It's intentionally giving yourself. Well, this is your job. And some of you this morning here might say, but Jeff, I didn't sign up for this. I just want to come and hear an inspiring word from the scripture. I want to sing a couple of songs, and I want to come back in a week or two or three or whenever I need to be filled up again. This, this is what I want to do. This is, this is how I want to participate in, in church life. Well, I would tell you this. That you are right that you did not sign up for this. The truth of the matter is, is that you were signed up. You were signed up when God sent his son to do the work of saving your soul from his righteous judgment. You were signed up when Jesus shed his own blood for your soul. Growing in grace is the outcome of a truly redeemed life. Presenting yourself and God's people maturing in Christ is the current work of the redeemed. No you did not sign up for this. You did not. You were signed up. It is who you are. It is who you are. We spent 3 chapters uh, learning and understanding what it is that Paul says that they that they are who you are in Christ then then moves us to what it is that we do because of who we are. And no you didn't sign up for it. I didn't sign up for it. I didn't sign up to let go of my life for other people. I did not sign myself up for it, and I wouldn't have done it on purpose. I never would have done it in my own mind, in my own heart. I never would give myself away to somebody just because I'm just that kind of guy. No, I got signed up. I got signed up to do it. And God said, I gave all of myself to you in the person and work of Jesus Christ on the cross. Now, guess what? Because you are now mine, you are doing to do the same. You are to give yourself away for the sake of the faith of others. That is your job. That's what you're called to. I signed you up for it. I signed you up for it. Well... Further here, when we look at verse 14, he says there's another purpose in us, in us investing in us, pouring ourselves out to others. It is so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. It is so that we would do those things that would protect and guard the true gospel of Jesus Christ. That it would protect and guard the people of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That it is designed to prevent yourself and your brothers from being carried away. By being carried away by false teaching. By being carried away by things that would stunt their growth in the fullness of Christ. That's really what this is about. If you're being tossed and fro to and fro by every new thing that comes along, you forget the old thing. And the old thing is really simple. Oh, it is so simple. I don't know why we complicate it. I know that I do. It is so simple. The old thing, the old gospel is simple. The old true gospel is really, really simple. And I think 2 Corinthians 5.21 sums it up. He made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. That's the gospel. And there are other competing teachings out there that would toss us to and fro and away from that simple truth. But it is in Christ alone, through faith alone, by grace alone, to the glory of God alone that we are saved. It is all of those things, right? The simple truth of the gospel and, and our job as, as those who are investing ourselves in the lives of others is to protect them from false doctrine, to protect ourselves from anything else that might creep in, that might stunt our growth, that we might not become the full stature of who Christ has us to be because we're being carried away by this thing or that thing. It is the aim of our work, brothers and sisters. What we are to be working in is preventing us from getting a hold of teachings that are just not quite the gospel. Because you know how the how the false teachers work, don't you? They give you a little bit of the truth, right? I had a brother who was in another church in Carleton uh, uh, many years ago. And he was he was he had a right. He had some writings and he was writing about all of these teachings. And he said to me, he said, so what do you think? Of these teachings, he says they're they're about ninety five percent accurate. And I said, "Well, when do you think that you ought to stop listening to a false teacher?" He says, "I don't know." I said, "As soon as they open their mouth, the minute that the false comes open, you should just—that's the end of that. I don't I don't need to hear anymore. It has taken me away from grace. It is grace that has saved us. And if you take me away from grace, and I have to go to work." I'm undone. I am undone. So yeah, as soon as you hear false doctrine, uh, that's when you stop listening. Not listen for the 95% and, and sift through and throw away the 5%. Because you can be carried away. You can be carried off by that doctrine. So that is the aim of us as believers as we invest in the lives of others. And so this morning, I have this challenge. I have this challenge for you guys here this morning. And it's, it's I want you to take this Uh, seriously. It is a 90 day challenge. So I'm going to challenge you guys for the next 90 days to do this. And I'm certain that not every one of us will take this challenge seriously or take it on. But I know the result of the few that will take it seriously, that it will begin to transform the culture of our church. And you don't need to tell me that you're doing it. You don't need to tell me with whom you're going to do this. The result is going to be tangible. And it's this. Each of you in the next 90 days, give yourself to the spiritual good of two brothers or sisters in this body. And what does that mean? That means this. That means noticing when they're absent. It means an intentional phone call. It means a purposed cup of coffee. It means an encouraging text message. It means a lunch or dinner invite done with regularity. And it means... Doing all of this with their spiritual well-being in mind. And you don't even have to tell the other person that you are doing it. You don't even need to get their permission to do it. You don't need a program and you don't need a training session. At some point in the 90-day challenge, I would say that you need to ask them this. Who are they intentionally doing a spiritual good in? And did you see that if you do it and they do it and they do it and they do it, how exponentially this changes the culture of a church. It is what I want to challenge you to do in the next 90 days. And don't tell me you're doing it. I'll know. I will know. I'll be able to see it. I'll be able to see, see the results of it. And you will too. You will notice the results of it. You'll notice that you are starting to grow yourself in grace. You are noticing that the person you are investing, investing in is growing in grace. You will notice that they are also starting to give themselves away as you have given yourself away to them. And if you don't notice results in 90 days, do it for 180. If you don't notice results in 180, do it for 365. Make that part of your life. Make that who you are. Because it is who you are. It's who you're called to be. It is what you got signed up for. Like you didn't sign up, but you got signed up. It is what you got signed up for. Well, now we look at this is that how and the why we want to answer the how and the why we do this and look at verses 15 through 16. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped. When each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. See, this section tells us both the how and the why of disciples making disciples. How? The truth of the scriptures. We have all that we need in God's word to intentionally do spiritual good in another person's life. Did you know that? If you have a Bible, you have all that you need to intentionally do a spiritual good in a brother or a sister's life. You have all that you need. Second Timothy 316 says that all scriptures breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. We have the equipping of God's word, don't we? To move us forward. 2 Peter chapter 1 says this, His divine power is granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence. We don't need a program. We don't need a training session. We need the word of God. We need the spirit of God in us. And his grace, because he says his divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us. So how and why? Love is how. And love is why you are to speak the truth of God's word. In love, you will tell your brothers and sisters in Christ the truth of the gospel. In love, you will desire that your fellow church members truthfully reach full maturity. In love, you will desire that each one of us, would grow into the likeness of Jesus Christ. In love, you will pour yourself out for others. And you're going to risk this. It's risky. It is a risk. When you give yourself away, here's what you risk. You risk that you and God's word may both be rejected. It's a risk. It is a risk. But it's who you're called to be. It's what you're called to do. But in love, you will do that. If you love them, you'll risk their friendship. In love, I want to see a brother follow Christ more than I want him to be my friend. In love, I want him to know the truth of God's grace rather than I want him to like me. He may not like me, but I gave him the words that will save his soul. That's love. Right? We try to define love as being all nice all the time. Sometimes love is firm. But what God's word here says is that love is honest, that it's truthful, that speaking the truth in love, he says, rather than letting your brother or sister be carried away by every wind of doctrine, he says, rather than that, love them, love them enough to tell them the truth, love them enough to be honest, at the risk of you losing a friend. I bet you, sometimes as parents, you probably know this. You probably have have done this as a parent. You have something firm and direct that you need to tell your child. And you know that this is going to be devastating to them, to hear this truth. And you know that they're going to not want to be around you for a while. They're going to even probably dislike you. But in love, you don't hold back. You don't hold back that truth from them. For their sake, you tell them the truth, knowing that maybe this truth might even put a big wedge between us in our relationship if they don't receive it well. But you speak the truth anyway. You speak the truth in love. Because their salvation and their soul and their life is more important than even your relationship. That's speaking the truth in love. If you love yourself, you will pour yourself out, risking that. If you love, you will guard your brothers and sisters against the latest and the greatest and the newest fad in Christianity. You will protect them from error. And why? Again, it says here that we are all to grow in every way into Christ's likeness. This is his church. This is his body. We are called Christians. And what does that mean, really, but little Christ's? We are to be like Him in every way. The person sitting next to you needs your help. Because we are being joined together as one body in one faith through one Savior. Notice what it says that when we do our part. That when we do our part, when it's working properly, that it builds up the body together. When we do our part, it also makes the gospel compelling to the world, doesn't it? Jesus' prayer in John seventeen twenty three says, so that the world will know that you sent me and loved them even as you loved me. The world will know that you are loved by Jesus, that you know that that the world will know that God loved you enough to send his son for your sin when you do your part. The world will know that. When you love others in a sacrificial giving way, they'll know that you have received that sacrificial love from God through Jesus Christ. You're a disciple of Christ Jesus and you are called to make disciples of Jesus Christ. So I would say this to end. You have His Word, open it. You have His Spirit, embrace it and walk in it. You have the gift of God's grace. Growing. You're part of the kingdom of God. Build it. You're a member of the body of Christ. Do your part. Do your job. That's what Paul's after here. God has given you gifts of grace to do your job. Do it. (laughs) That's kind of what he says at the end is do your part. Do your job.